Also, uh, I know that Margaret is going to have in the back um, at the end of service a petition that she would have you sign. And um, listen, I'm okay with it. It's, it's a petition on voter integrity and some things. Um, here's the deal. I'm okay with doing this as long as we keep it in perspective. Um, we need to be patriots. We need to take our stand for our country. Nothing wrong with that. And we need to demand that we have integrity in our election system. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think it's okay to do what we're, what we're doing. But my, my balance here is that we need to make sure that we're not putting our faith in man's system. Donald Trump is not our savior. Okay? Um, Ron DeSantis is not our savior. Though they're good men. And there's lots of good women. I'm, I support them 100%. But they're not our savior. We have to recognize that this is a spiritual battle as well and that we are in the end times. I fully believe that we are in the end days. And in the end days, there are things that are going to happen that we don't like. And it may very well take our country down. If we're going to be able to fit in to what God wants to do, we've got to remember he establishes the kings and the kingdoms. And he also takes them down when it's time to take them down. It's his responsibility. We do our work. We fight the battle. We do the things we can do, but we keep our eyes focused on Jesus in the process. All right? So if you want to sign the petition, you can after church. It'll be in the foyer. Um, so let's just do our, our, do our part in that area. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is a day that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. You know, it was just the beginning of the annual Feast of, the, of Passover, something that they've done forever and ever in the Jewish culture, Jewish history, Jewish religion. Um, and it's recorded in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this triumphal entry of Jesus. And this marked him as someone different. No man in history rode a donkey into Jerusalem as he did that week. And it caused quite a stir because many people didn't have a clue what was going on. And even his followers and disciples, even, even though they, they knew who he was, they've watched him, they've been a part of his life and watched miracles and things happen, and, and they even declared him to be the Son of God, though they didn't really understand what was going to happen this coming week. Even though Jesus said, I'm going to die, he told them that. He, there was no secrets, but they couldn't quite comprehend it, I don't, I don't think. So there was some confusion in the camp. And then there were those that thought that he was coming to be their physical king. He was, they were, that Jesus was going to set up a kingdom on earth then and there to defeat the Roman rule. They were under harsh Roman rule, the Jewish people were, and they thought Jesus was going to be their king and that he was going to deliver them politically. And then there were, there, there, there were those there that didn't have a clue what was going on. And they were just there for the ride. Like many of us are today in our world, don't have a clue what's going on. They're just long for the ride. Jesus came and he upset a lot of people. In fact, he upset them all. Because those that thought, those that were zealous, that were thinking that they were going to be set free from Roman rule, obviously they were left disappointed because he died. And even his disciples were disappointed because he died. <laughs> even though he told them he was going to die, 
But this was a week of great confusion. And it's very similar to our society today. We're living in a world of great confusion. But read the Bible. Read the end of the story. We win. And uh, in fact, the Bible is more up to date than your newspaper. If you read the Bible and really believe what it says, there's more truth in the Bible that's coming to, that's coming to bear than what our media is telling us because our media is telling us lies. Even a good newspaper can't keep up with what the Bible's saying. We're talking about Palm Sunday. And I want to talk about clearing out the temple. Stand with me if you would. And I want to read the passage. Read this with me together, okay? This is the setting up what's happening uh, as recorded in Matthew. It says, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 2. It says, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and sat him on it, on them. And, on a, ver- and a very great multitude have spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before him and those who followed him cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now stay standing for a minute, because I read all that to set it up for what really is happening. But the text for today is here. Read with me as well. Chapter 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you today in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are asking for your wisdom and your guidance as we uh, spend time in your word today. And I pray, God, that you would just open our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, inspire us to read it as you inspired the disciples and those prophets of old to write it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a lot to unpack here. Too much for us to get through this whole day, but we're going to give it a shot. Let's understand what was going on, all right? The week of Passover, this is the one time of the year that the people came to the temple where the chief priest would offer, them, offer sacrifices for them to cover the sins of their past year. This is before the covenant, the new covenant of Jesus' blood. This is the way that God commanded it in the Old Testament. And this went on for 4,000, well, 2,000 years. And, you know, Moses, whatever, I didn't do my history on now, all that. But a, thousand, a few thousand of years, this is what was going on. So we see people coming from all around the area. Some had traveled many days, many, many miles to get there because they're coming from all regions, the Jewish from, Jews from everywhere. And when they get there, they are to bring various animals to be sacrificed, including doves, pigeons, goats, 
sheep. And the reality is that many of these people couldn't carry them with them. They, were, they traveled too far. They couldn't carry the, the, all the animals, the livestock with them. So they, their plan was to buy the animal when they got to Jerusalem. Not only that, but many of them came from regions that had different currency. So they had to convert their currency to pay the temple tax. Convert it into the local Jewish currency. So there was a need there to um, convert money. And there was a need there to purchase a sacrificial animal. I think we get that. I don't think there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It was the way that they had to do business. The problem comes in, though, is when and where and how they did this. The temple was not the place to be setting up their currency exchange. The temple was not the place to set up their business interactions. And actually, this is the place where the corrupt nature of humanity shows up. This shows us what people are really like. <laughs> because the shrewd businessmen of the day saw this as a great opportunity to take advantage of the people. If we look at the temple, and I don't have a drawing of it, and I'm not an expert in it, but I do know that there were various courtyards and various areas within the temple that were reserved for certain things. Gentiles could be in some parts of the temple and Jews in the other parts. So then there was the Holy of Holies where only the, the, the high priest could go in only one time a year. So there was, the, the temple was very specifically designed by God to be a place of worship and to be a place of, of fellowship. Yet the business people of the day totally ignored God's plans. And they set up shop. Some sold animals, overcharging people because they couldn't bring their own. In fact, many times the same people that were selling the animals were also in charge of looking at the animals that people did bring in to say, is it worthy to be a sacrifice? And we don't know what happened here, but I can only imagine that they might look at this pigeon or this dove or this goat and they say, oh no, that's blemished. We, you, that's not good enough. So let me sell you one that is. So they would sell them at an overpriced for that animal that is sacrificed, worthy of a sacrifice. And who knows, they probably put that one in the back and then sold that one to the next one coming in. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way shrewd business people work. Evil shrewd business people work. And they were exploiting the people Money changes in the temple courts were similar to tax collectors of the day. The tax collectors of the Jewish day were actually Jewish people that were taxing the Jewish people on behalf of the Roman government. So the tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people because they were considered traitors. And do you know that Matthew was a tax collector? Matthew, the, Matthew, the disciple Matthew, was a tax collector that the Jewish people hated. But Jesus said, come follow me. Amazing, isn't it? That's a whole other story right there. But they were seeking to profit financially from those that were trying to worship God. Wow. That's pretty telling. Do you think this was the first time this had happened? Do you think this was the first time that they set up camp there? 
I, I don't think so. In fact, if we go back three years prior to this, at the beginning, this is, remember, this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see a similar thing happen as recorded in the book of John. John chapter 2, this is beginning of Jesus' ministry. John records something very interesting here, very similar to what just happened that we just read. Let's read this. John chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. You see, this had been going on every year. Every year this had been going on. Now, Jesus was a Jew, and he had come to Passover at least 20, 30 times because he came as a young child and his parents brought him, so he fulfilled the Jewish laws. So Jesus had seen this every year. But finally now he's in his year of ministry, and he's saying, no more. (laughs) No more. I have authority over this, and we're not doing this anymore, guys. Because this is my father's house. I got to wonder, what happened the second year after Jesus did this the first year? I got to wonder, did they set up again? Or were they a little bit afraid to do it? But yet we read now that in his third year, because this is now Jesus' third year of ministry, and he's clo- this is his last year of ministry, they're there, They're back. <laughs> They're back in the temple doing the same thing that that Jesus cast them out from three years ago. There's a principle here that I want to come back to. Hold on to that thought about how things repeat themselves. But Jesus hated what the money changes were about. He hated the fact that they were profiting and they were gouging the faithful followers. You know, profiting using the gospel as a platform is repulsive to God. But yet it happens, even today. Even today it happens. There are those that would say, give me your money and I'll send you a prayer cloth. I'm not against prayer cloths, and I'm not against that. But I'm against the fact they start profiting off of it. And it happens more than we know. Or maybe it happens as much as we I Maybe it happens, I, I'm not sure, it happens a lot. And it gives the name of Jesus a bad name. It gives the church a bad name. God sees it. And let me tell you, he hates it. But he also hates this for an even more important reason. Let's go back to our text. Matthew twenty-one thirteen, And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of themes. What was Jesus so angry over? You see, Jesus was angry. This is righteous anger. Jesus didn't sin in his anger, but he was angry. What was he angry over? He was angry because they were defiling his father's house. He was angry because this was something holy and precious to his father. And they were defiling it. 
I find it so interesting that Jesus did not get angry when he was whipped. He did not get angry after his back was bloodied and torn, the flesh torn off his back when they laid that old rugged cross on his back and made him carry it to Golgotha. I didn't see him angry when they took that crown of thorns and shoved it on his head so that blood ran down his forehead. I didn't see him angry when they took the spikes and they drove it into his ankle and they drove it into his wrists. I didn't see him angry when they pulled his beard out of his face and when they mocked him and when they ridiculed Jesus. I saw no righteous anger there. All I see is him saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, folks, when we get angry, we have to be careful that we don't get angry because somebody offends me. If they offend the church, if they offend God, possibly. That's where Jesus got angry over. He wasn't angry because they attacked him. They got angry. He got angry because they attacked his father. That's righteous anger. And also, he got angry because they were defiling his house because it was supposed to be a house of prayer. And not only were they not praying, but they were keeping people, other people, from praying because they were distracting and disrupting what should have been going on in the house of the temple. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? Do we understand today why Jesus had anger in his life, but it wasn't anger because of a, about him, it was anger because it was a, a, about his father. They had made, they had made his, his father's house a den of thieves. He, Christ's greatest concern is holiness. His greatest concern then and today is holiness. That means purity, spiritual wholeness, separation from evil, and a dedication to God. Especially within the church for those who claim to be followers of God. What does it mean to be a house of prayer? What was Jesus really meaning? What does it mean when he said this is a house of prayer? Well, prayer had a special place in Jesus' heart. What is prayer? Prayer is simple communication. It's a dialogue with our Heavenly Father. I mean, it's a very simple concept. We just pray. We just speak. We just let our heart cry out to God, and he hears, and he answers. It's a communication. Jesus prayed a lot. In fact, Prayed quite often. He would go off in his early in his ministry and go off to the mountain or hillside and pray for hours, maybe even through the night. It's amazing that Jesus had to pray. But he didn't have to. It was a pleasure. He was talking to his dad. He was talking to his father. And just put it the same thing for us today. We just are talking to our father. But how do we pray? John chapter 424 says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So for worship to be authentic, it must come from a sincere spirit of devotion to God. I mean, we must have a a true life of godly character. We must have a desire and a thirsting for the things of righteousness and living a life that knows what it means to please God. If we're going to pray, this is the kind of heart we need to come into prayer with. God's temple is a place of prayer 
not a place of worldly passions. Let me say that again. God's temple is a place of prayer, not a place of worldly passions. So you may look at me and say, Mike, listen, we're not in the Old Testament anymore. We don't have to go to the temple. Thank God we don't. Thank God we're not bringing sacrifices today. And we're doing what they had to do. So what defines the temple of God today? Where is the temple of God today? Did it go away? The whole point of this message today is for us to recognize that if we profess, if we profess to be a Christian, if we invited Jesus to come into our heart, really what that means is we've invited the Holy Spirit to come into our life because Jesus is actually in heaven at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is on earth today, beginning on the day of Pentecost, which was the first day of the church. So we really invite the Holy Spirit to come in and live within us and dwell within us. So what that means is that we are the temple of God. We are the temple. You are the temple of God. If you've invited Jesus into your life, if you've invited the Holy Spirit into your life, then the Holy Spirit resides in you and dwells within you, and that makes you the temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. That's why we need to take care of our bodies. It's not just so we can have long health, long life and good health, which is good. But we're to honor God because he created us. And now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we don't abuse ourselves. So let me ask this question. If this is true... What does Jesus see when he walks through your temple? You see, if Jesus walked through the temple of the Old Testament days, he's walking through the temple of the New Testament days. What does he see when he walks through your temple? Is it cluttered with the trappings of worldly living and concerns? Have we turned our temple into a den of thieves? Or is our temple a house of prayer? What does Jesus see when he walks through your temple? You see, we have a responsibility to keep our temple clean and clear of worldly things rather than full of the things that God hates. God hates, despises worldly things that would clutter his temple. Worldly things that would distract from prayer. God doesn't just not like it. He hates it. So when we play with the things of this world, thinking that it's a little game with us, thinking that we can be having our little playtime and God's going to understand it, do you know what it's doing to God? Jesus got angry and he cleared out the temple with a whip. Do you think he wants to clear out my temple with a whip? And it's not because he's angry at me, it's because he loves me. Because he loves you. It's easy to sit back and criticize the TV preachers. It's easy to sit back and criticize others that are peddling a cheap grace. 
Because there is a cheap grace out there that doesn't require the cost of being a saved person. Yes, the grace is free. It's a gift. Freely given. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But the reality is it's going to cost me everything I am. When I receive that gift, it's free. But thereafter, it's going to cost me everything. And there's nothing wrong with that, guys, because it's a good trade. I'm telling you, you're not giving anything up that you, that you, you're not giving anything up that's of any value. What you're giving up is the stuff that's going to kill you anyways. It's a good trade. Let's go back and finish the account that we read earlier about in, in John where he was clearing the temple. What did Jesus say about the passion that he had? John chapter 1, verse 17. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Jesus said that. In fact, it was said in the Psalms. Jesus was quoting the Psalms. The psalmist said the same thing, that the passion for God's house, the zeal for God's house will consume me. Sincere love for God and his purposes results in intense passion and enthusiasm for the house of God and his kingdom. Do you feel that? Do you want that? Do you desire that? It's within your grasp. It's within your choice. That's why we Early this morning or earlier, we gave those that wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that will help fulfill that hunger and that fullness that you're desiring. Jesus had this zeal. We need to have the same passion for God's house to consume us as well. And it's the passion that was in, within Jesus that created that holy anger that motivated him to clear out the temple area. I said earlier that Jesus did some awkward things. Well, this was an awkward thing. You think his disciples were a little bit taken back? You think they were saying, whoa, Jesus, slow down, buddy. What are you doing here? Of course. Yeah, of course. It caused a little stress. And when Jesus comes in and walks through your temple and the whip comes out, it's going to cause a little stress because he's going to drive out some things in your life that don't need to be, that shouldn't be there. And can I tell you that's okay? If he loves you, he'll discipline you. Read, read Hebrews chapter 12. If he loves you, he'll discipline you. I was disciplined a lot as a kid. And let me tell you, when I was disciplined by my dad, he never said, Mike, I love you so much. I don't want you to think that I'm a bad dad. So I've asked a neighbor to come over and spank you. He never did that. No, he, he, he did what he needed to do. God's the same way. God loves you enough that he will discipline you and he will get the whip to drive out the money changers in your life. Thank the Lord for that. Amen? Thank the Lord for that. You know, we, we just, we were at a weekend, this weekend is training for the Kyrix weekend, and Kyrix does a lot of prison ministry. 
that's really one of the things that they do as well as the weekends. I have not been on a weekend in a prison. I hope to go soon when they open it back up again. But they were saying yesterday um, that when they go into the prisons, that the prisoners often will say they're thankful that they're there because the prison saved their life because they were on the way of destruction and they were destroying themselves. Now, that doesn't mean that every prisoner is saying that, but the ones that find Jesus in the prison say that. So let me ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is your passion for the house of God and for prayer? 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, what is your passion? You need to think about that. I need to think about that. If we're going to clean out our temple, then we need to take a stand against the unrighteousness that would so easily creep in and compromise us to compromise, compromise us on the things of God. This is more than just being a, a rhino. We're not just a, what would I say it? A Christian in name only? What would that be called? A sino? A, a rhino is Republican in name only, okay? If I'm a Christian in name only, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Paul knew that. And Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. So I'm going to read this, and I'm going to ask you to judge for yourself if this applies to today and maybe even if this applies to your heart. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Don't fool yourself. Listen to that. Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, what's an idol? What's an idol? Or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves. Who are thieves? Have you ever stolen anything? Or greedy people. You ever been greedy? Envious over somebody else's possessions? Or drunkards? Or abusive? Or cheat people? I think he's kind of said it all, hasn't he? Is there anybody left out of this list? He says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But I like verse 11. Some of you were once like that. Probably we could say all of you <laughs> were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So today, when God looks at you, if you've accepted Christ in your heart, he looks at you and what does he see? He sees the blood of Jesus over you, not your sin. That's a beautiful thing. 
So as I get ready to finish this, I want to go back to the principle that I mentioned earlier. If the temple was being defiled year after year, as I think we've proven that it was, and if Jesus had to clean it out more than once, what does that say to us about the necessity of cleaning our temple out more than once? Is it a one-time-and-done deal? When you ask Jesus in your life the first time 35 years ago, (laughs) have you cleaned out your temple since? Do you need to clean out your temple more than once? Can I suggest to all of us today that it is not a one-time-and-done event? It is a daily event. We read a minute ago that we are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. We are not our own. But that does not destroy the sinful nature within us. We still battle on a daily basis with sin, don't we? I do. I'm not going to deny the fact. Sin is still there. My sinful nature is still relevant. Still there. The reality is we need to set up a regular cleaning schedule (laughs) to get the worldly garbage out of our life. We need to walk through our temple on a regular basis and say, that doesn't belong here. That doesn't belong here. That doesn't belong here. And we need to take the courage to kick it out. And it might mean losing some friends. It might mean taking a stand against some other things in life. There's only one way to do it. Every day. Don't think you can put this one off. Don't procrastinate this thing. Because the more you procrastinate it, the harder it is to get the old out. You know, isn't it interesting that anything good is not habit-forming. It's only the bad things that are habit-forming. I mean, you can read the Bible every day, but it it doesn't make a habit. But you know, you can have lots of habits that just grow in your life. It's like a weed growing up in the parking lot. How does a weed push itself through pavement? That's what sin does pushes itself through the righteousness of a a righteous heart if we're not careful, if we're not diligent, if we're not keeping guard over it. So Jesus gives us an example of what happens to a person that is delivered from the grasp of an enemy. Here's the deal, guys. You can be delivered and you can have your house swept clean, but that doesn't mean it's going to stay clean unless you do something. Here's an example that Jesus gave. Luke chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. He said, When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. He's talking about your heart. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. You see, it's just not getting sin out of your life. It's filling your life up with righteousness that keeps your life free from sin. 
It's just not getting it out. It's just not asking Jesus to forgive me one time and then living my life without the fullness of the presence of the Lord. The only way to remain free from the enemy retaking the place in your life is to fill your life with passion and zeal for godly living. Make a choice. Make a choice. Stand up. Be a man. Be a woman. Make a choice. My Bible commentary says it this way. People who accept Christ and are spiritually born again must also commit themselves to obedience, prayer, and the standards of God's word and continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. To continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jackie, would you come please? So, as we prepare for the celebration of Easter, I put on a sign, I need to fix the sign, I put on the sign, what does Easter mean to you? What does Easter mean to you? You ever thought about it? Let's take some time, beginning today and throughout this week, to purposely and intentionally clean our temple in preparation of Easter, in preparation of what Jesus was about to do. When we fill our temple with the things that Jesus desires, your life will be full. And this is the way you do it. Jesus gives us the instructions. We're not just, he doesn't tell us what to do and then leave us without instruction. No, he tells us. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, for all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together and in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. There's more. Hang on. There's more things that we're supposed to do. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. That means as you come to church, as you be in fellowship with other believers, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the process of clearing your temple. If you do these things, if you practice this, what we just read, this will not only help clear your temple, but it will fill it up with the things of righteousness so the devil doesn't have an empty place to come back to. The old saying is, an empty mind is the devil's workshop. If your mind is not full on Jesus, if it's full of the worldly things or full of neutral things, it's a great place for the devil to come back in and reset up his shop. And I want you to know, this doesn't define us as perfect people. It defines us of having a daily, diligent, listen, a daily, diligent repentance 
and a zeal to live for God. A zeal and a passion to be found pleasing to the Father. It's not works-based salvation. It's working as a result of my salvation that I want to please my Father, that I want him, when he walks through my temple, because he does on a regular basis, I want him to find my temple full of prayer. I want him to find my temple free of the clutter of this world. And we do that by keeping it full. This is how we keep the corrupt human nature from taking control of our temple area again. Does that make sense? Stand with me, if you will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day today. I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you, Lord, for the word of instruction. I thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you went and you paid the ultimate sacrifice and that you died on the cross. And not only did you die, but you went into the, into the bowels of earth and set free the captives there that needed to be spoken to and then you took them to heaven with you and there you are today preparing a place for us because you live again. You rose from the dead and you are there to give us life and life to the full. So I invite you Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to um, evaluate our templeness. Clean our temple out. Help us to clean our temple out I pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing with Jackie and Tom. We're playing and let's worship before we go home. For me and my house, we're going to serve you. For me and my house, you'll get the praise. For me and my house, we're going to love you always. For me and my house, we're going to worship for me. Father, that's our declaration today. That we are going to state it. We're going to declare it. Me and my house are going to worship you today. We're going to clear out our temple today for you. And we're going to live righteously before you, Father, as a way that proves our love back to you. Help us in this, we pray. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit, to help us. We're battling things that are bigger than us. So we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to step in and help us in this area. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.
Have a great day. Have a great week.